0: Well, friends, um, I'm glad to be back with you. We're starting our Next Step sermon series today. Next Steps, we got seven of them. When you think about the Bible, there are 31,102 verses in our English Bible. That's a lot, right? And they're in 66 different books of the Bible, written over the periods of thousands of years by 40 different authors. And so it's all in there. So how is somebody supposed to make sense of all that? It sounds pretty complicated. You think about all the different types of churches there are in the world, and even here in the United States, and even right here in our own town of Lincoln. Different denominations and different views of things, and how do we make sense of it? So we came up with this idea of next steps. Next steps to try to take the profound truth of Scripture and outline for us what is it that the Bible asks of us as followers of Jesus, in relation to our church and in relation to one another. And our scripture memory verse for the month starts us with where we're at for today. And that's Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. Let's say that together. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. And all God's people said, Amen. We get saved. We trust Christ. We commit our life to follow Him. We ask Jesus into our heart. We become Christ followers. We use many phrases for that same meaning of realizing that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior And that Savior is Jesus, and He can be my Savior personally. And we enter into this relationship that that's what the Bible is about. The Bible, all 31,102 verses, is about the redemptive relationship of God with man and woman and child. And how He desires to know us because He loves us. So let's take a quick run through our next steps. Quick run through those next steps, and the first one we cover today is um, follow Jesus. So that's on your outline. If you're taking notes, write that one down. Follow Jesus. That means to get saved, to commit our life to follow Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. If you've never done that before, you can do that today. And maybe the next one uh, is where you're at. Get baptized. Baptism is a command. The Bible says you should do it. Now, we'll make a case for that scripturally next week. But let me just tell you, if you are a believer in Jesus, but you've never been baptized by immersion as a believer in Jesus, you can do that next Sunday. Bring your clothes and be ready. Okay? A change of clothes. And if you don't bring your change of clothes and you show up here next Sunday and you are convicted or somebody who's not here today, we're going to give you time to go home, get your clothes, and come back and get baptized next Sunday. We're doing things completely different next Sunday. Just wait to find out. Uh, We'll send an email this week to explain a little better, but I don't have time right now. The third step is invite others. Now, that's not a command that is explicit in the Bible that says, Thou shalt invite others to church. I mean, it's not there like that, right? But... All throughout the New Testament, it's implied and demonstrated that we should be in relationship with others and inviting them to a relationship with Jesus as well. And inviting them into life with us and in church with us is part of that. The fourth one is belong together. What we mean by belong together is to be a part of someone else's life. For us, this is worship. For us, this is small groups. Um, For us, this is service opportunities. For us, this is getting together as friends from church outside of church. This is one-on-one discipling. But more than that, it's being part of a community where you are known and you know others. Not just you show up on Sunday morning and you sit in your spot and you say, I'm fine, how are you? A deeper relationship. The next one is begin giving. Begin giving implies that you keep on giving. It is commanded that we give to support God's work. And we'll talk about that in that sermon um, a couple of weeks from now. The fi- uh, uh, following one is start serving. Again, it's implied that once you start, you keep on serving. All of us have natural talents and abilities. We have skills. We have personalities. We have experiences. All these things make us who we are, our shape. And God gave us those things that we might serve Him by serving others. We'll talk about that more in six weeks. And then finally, disciple others. Disciple others. What we mean by that one is to share your life with others in a way in which you're leading them. Yes, you've invited them. Yes, you belong. Yes, you've served. But what we mean here is specifically in leading others, teaching others in a small group, one-on-one, that you're specifically intentionally trying to grow others. So these are our next steps and um, we're going to get there in the weeks ahead, but I've got to move us ahead uh, based on my time already, even though you're looking at your watches going, oh, because we've got a special treat today, and that's Scott and Sarah Hunter. So I'm going to invite Scott and Sarah Hunter up here with me. So everybody uh, give a round of applause as a welcome to Scott and Sarah. Come on. There you go. And so we've got a a, a little... Come on up, Miss Sarah. Brother Scott. Thank you. When I first met this couple, I don't know, a year and a half ago now you've been here? Um, They sat with me in my office uh, in discovery class. And it was a time in which nobody else was in discovery class. It was just the three of us. And I sat there and went, wow, what God has done in these two's lives. And so today, I'm pretty excited to have them sit up here on the stage with me. Because when we were talking as a staff about how to present this idea of following Jesus to our church family, we said, we need to have somebody share their testimony. What if we had two different types of people? And and then, I don't know, was it you, Myra, that said, what about Scott and Sarah? Or maybe it was Pastor David. And I was like, yes, Scott and Sarah, I'm going to ask them. And so I had this amazing conversation with them Thursday night that lasted like more than two hours. But the sermon today won't last that long, don't worry. So we're going to try to keep things a little bit shorter. And let them tell their story and let them illustrate the scriptures. Because if you're looking at your outline, yeah, you got four points with four questions and four scriptures. And we'll get there. But let me pray for us and then we're going to move ahead. God, we're so glad to be here today. And so glad that by your spirit you can speak to us through your word and through other people. And we pray that you open our minds to understand and our hearts to obey. Give us courage, Father, give us faith, whatever it is. That if we need to trust Jesus as our Savior today, we'd make that commitment public at the end of the worship service today. God, that if we need to take a step closer to Jesus or closer to someone else, that we would be willing to do that today in response to what you teach us here and how you challenge us. So, Father, we come before you today in the name of Jesus, and we pray that you'd speak to us. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So, we're going to try to have a conversation as best we can up here, and you guys get to listen in, right? Because it's for your benefit. We did this, uh, you know, um, was that a year and a half ago as well in our scripture stories type thing? Yeah, yeah. And so, we're doing it again. So, Sarah, uh, introduce yourself. Tell everybody about your life as a child and all that sort of stuff and how you grew up. For
1: sure. Hey, guys. Is this okay?
0: Are you on? you on. She's on. Hi. Can you
1: hear me? Okay. Hi, guys. Um, So, yes, I'm Sarah. And it's been a pleasure getting to know a bunch of you. And I'm sorry for the names I don't remember yet. But, yes, so I grew up mostly in a small town, Shenandoah, Iowa, about half an hour from Nebraska City. And I'm a preacher's kid. And very, very thankful for that. And I don't have a big before. um, um, Because, you know, being raised in a godly house, you know, having godly parents makes a big difference. Um, But I remember... um, my parents tell me about the gospel from very young, a part of my background. And one night, I remember when I was eight, my parents had kind of talked to me about about baptism and surrendering your life and its significance. Earlier that summer, December fourteenth or thirteenth, it, um, it was a starry winter night, and I remember looking outside and looking at the stars and thinking, you know, that that God, I I want to know that God, you know. So I like 10 o'clock at night I went downstairs and I told my dad okay I, I'm gonna get baptized and he's like okay let's do it so um so that was great um I am very very thankful for my parents bringing me up but I think it's interesting like as a preacher's kid to have to wrestle with um what decisions are mine and what decisions are because of their influence on me hmm. and their influence on me is very great and that's very that's very good but I'm, I've been known to be a little bit stubborn and a little bit independent. So there's times where <laughs> um, times where, uh, sometimes my heart would want to rebel just because that's what my parents would want me to do.
2: Mm.
1: Um, so it was a little bit difficult for me to walk up to the stage and say, I'm going to get baptized because it looked like, oh, look at her just doing what look good daddy's girl. When I'm like, no, this is my decision. Um, and growing up, that was a struggle to serve because it's, it was my pride. On, no, this is my decision. I want to do this. Um, and is it my parents' relationship with Jesus, or is it my relationship with Jesus? But um, I, rem- I remember, like, I, I knew I was saved at 8 well, on that December night. Um, I knew I was saved from hell, and I was very, very thankful for that. I did not know that, or I was told, I didn't understand that I was also saved from the guilt that God had forgiven me for the sins. And so um, from third grade to eighth grade, um, it was a lot of working out my salvation, even though I wouldn't be able to put those words to it. So there'd be nights I'd just be laden with guilt, and two and three in the morning, this fifth grader reading numbers, you know, just kind of like, God wants me to read the Bible, I'm going to read the Bible, you know? I don't, it's numbers, I don't know, you know? It's not like I got anything out of this, but it was just kind of like trying to figure out, God, how do I get rid of this guilt? And um, so that was a very burdensome and kind of darker time, um, as I was still kind of enslaved to that, even though I I was saved.
0: Some other things were going on there, and we'll get there when you talk again in a minute. But Scott, tell everybody a little bit about you coming up as a kid
2: and as a teenager and stuff. Yeah, so uh, my name is Scott Hunter, and um, I actually grew up in a house where um, we were Catholic, but I think it was just because my mom, her goal was to make my grandparents happy. Um, so growing up, we didn't really go to church except for Christmas and Easter or when grandma would lay the guilt trip on my mom, but, um, we, uh, we started going when I was in, like, sixth grade to a Baptist church, uh, out where, it was actually, like, an hour from our house, but we had been invited, so we started going and going every Sunday, and eventually we moved a lot closer to that church, and, um... Just seeing God orchestrate um, everything. He, we, we were going to church regularly and going on Wednesday nights, and you know a lot of the kids, a good part of them because our church was about this size, and uh, a lot of the kids were, you know believers and some were not. and I made a profession of faith when I was about 10, 11. and um, I just I remember that I was really excited to hear the gospel. But I just wanted to make Jesus a part of my life and not necessarily surrendering any part of me to following Christ. So as I continued through, um, you know, and, and I'm not downing public school in any way, shape, or form, but going to public school, I wanted to be a part of everything that my friends were a part of, which is going to concerts, having a girlfriend, um, so on and so forth. And then as um, I got closer to high school, it I just kind of started to go off the rails um, just by choosing my, to surround myself with things that were um, direct opposition to uh, the gospel, to Christ, or to, you know, not conducive to um, nurturing a soul and a heart that are surrendered to Christ. So um, it was kind of a long, nasty road uh, from, from junior high All the way up until I was about 23. Um, It just got worse with drugs and such.
0: Um, So you'll touch on that more in a minute. But uh, that's the thing that's amazing about Scott. But it illustrates for all of us, that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, God loves you and he sent Jesus to save you, especially out of the pit and out of the despair and out of the depression, out of the guilt. When you look at your outline this morning, we've got four questions. And the first one there is, uh, what's God's purpose? Well, I I would say that that is a why question, really. You know, it's the most important question. What was God up to in life? That question of purpose. And John 3.16 illustrates that for us. And verse 17 and 18 as well. And it says that, For God so loved the world... That he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And that whoever is you, right? No matter who you are, no matter how you grew up, no matter what's gone on in your past, no matter what you feel right now, whoever believes in him won't perish, but have eternal life. Look at verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world like the world would say, God's out to get you, but to save the world through him. Because God loves you, he sent his son to save you. And then verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. It's your choice. Nobody can make that choice for you. And you are not condemned by God. You are condemned by yourself. Because you haven't chosen to follow Jesus. God's got you in a place this morning where you're hearing the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And now you have the responsibility, individually and personally, and how you are going to respond. Your statement there uh, under the first point says that God loves us enough to give his son. God loves us enough to give his son. Can you imagine giving your child as a sacrifice for someone else? That's how much God loves you. Well... As we move along um, with our sermon, but also Scott and Sarah's life, it's pretty cool to hear what happens next in their life, but also the struggles that led them there, which are real heartbreaking. So I want to let Scott and Sarah share those.
1: Um. Yeah. So, sorry. So just kind of just yeah. struggles. Yeah.
0: Well, from your teenage years, how yeah. things were a struggle and in transitioning into when yeah. Jesus okay. became real to you.
1: For sure. So... Um, kind of the pattern in my life has been that different areas God continues to save me from parts like not just like from 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 hell to heaven but just redeem different parts of my life and things really started changing um this summer of my eighth grade year I went to a camp in Colorado with my dad and um things just started to click that God wants us to be free um he wants us to have a good life here, and not not health and wealth, but good, mm. you know, and that following, following God is not just a list of rules, but it's how to have a good life, mm. and um, sorry, so um, high school, I transitioned from a, a private school to a public school, and it really was a great public school, um, but in my head, I had all these, these um, defenses built up, that, um, you know, all the stereotypes about high school, and I was just really defensive and ready to defend my faith and ready to, like, take on anybody. You know, I'm a little bit of a fighter, so um, I just ready to go, but that kind of made me hard. Um, um, yeah, and so I ended up kind of being going to self-preservation and not looking out for other people. Again, is still wrestling with some guilt, still wrestling with who God made me to be and what he was going to use me for. So in my head, I kind of thought, okay, high school, what does God want? God wants me to be a charismatic youth group person that's going to save the school from the inside out. It's going to be great, like on a TV show. Yeah, so I'm going to be that. I am not made to be that. I am a strong <laughs> introvert. I do not have great people skills, and I kept feeling guilty because my, tr- my, my school wasn't being revived, you know, like I wasn't dra- drawing anybody, that wasn't me, and so just trying to work and work and work, I'm not good enough, not good enough, not good enough, and, uh, you know, God ended up using some of just attempts to be kind years down the road, again, nothing from me, but just God using us to spite ourselves sometimes. Um, that was just very, very fruitful during the high school years. But specifically, when I was a junior, I went to like a Dare to Share or something, and there was a speaker, Phil Joel, who used to be with the Newsboys. Um, I couldn't tell you what he said, but he said something to the point of You know, you say you love God, you, 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 you claim to, to serve this guy, but what are you sacrificing in order to demonstrate that love? You know, are you willing to sacrifice an hour of TV? To get to know your creator? Are you willing to give up these these just not bad things, but just are you willing to give that to him in order to read the word, in order to figure out what he wants from your life and to see his heart? And um, he said something about waking up an hour early, and I need a lot of sleep. Um, I a lot of sleep. Um, but for some reason, um, that that really coming to the heart I'm like, okay God, I tried this like with a diary, it goes for a couple weeks and then it's done. I, I need to know you. Please give me the strength to do this because I can't. I can't read your word every day. And especially being focused at five in the morning to, to do this. I don't have this in me. I need your help. And I can't tell you, like, the first week was hard. But it was so good because God honored that, like, a sacrifice. I mean, it's an hour of sleep. It's fine. But that just, that, that trying to be dependent on him. Got honored that, and throughout my high, the rest of my high school and my college got made that easier and easier to do, and then it became a lifeline where I couldn't not do it, and that's not because of my strength at all. It's because I said, "Like God, I can't. I need you to do this for me because I know I need to, but I just can't." And it sounds kind of silly that it's just this big thing for reading God's word, but that ended up being a lifeline hmm. for the rest of my high school and for all of my college. I have no idea where I would be. Hmm. Um, that wasn't the case, and I just praise God for that.
0: So, Scott, when you were in junior high, high school, you were in church, but you were involved in this other life outside of church, Yeah, and then things, there was a change down the road
2: somewhere there. Yeah, very much so. Um, I mean, I, I won't go into too much detail, but I got as far away from God as I could, and I tried to hide behind, I mean, every darkest sin that you would never wish to see anybody involved in. Um, But to to shorten it up a little bit, I was really really bad with drinking and drugs. And in my early twenties, I had gotten a DUI. And <clears throat> after that had happened, and uh, I remember one night I had driven home, and I was just really had had way too much. I indulged way too much in drinking, and I got home, and I'd sitting in the parking lot, and I didn't except for going out, um, and I just. As clear as day, could hear like, "What are you doing?" And I, I looked because I thought some like I had accidentally taken a friend home with me. So, um, and, and there was nobody in the car, and I immediately, ha- I had no answer for that question. I, I I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have any plan. I was I moved back in with my mom, which isn't a bad thing in and of itself, but the the fact that what had led me to be back there. Um, and I didn't have an answer, and I just, for the first time in my life, saw my sin the way that God sees sin, which is vile. I mean, any, anything that I was that brought me joy was immediately the thing that caused me the most pain. So, um, I mean, I was just filled with just one ringing question. After that was, well, what? What then? What can I do? And um, I don't know if. Uh, car had driven behind me, but I saw a flash in my rearview mirror and I, I looked back and there was a Bible on my on the back window of my car, so I grabbed it and I did one of these, like just flip the Bible open, but God was like, No no no, Isaiah fifty three <laughs> mm-hmm. and um, you know, it's, it says that God was pierced for our, or Jesus was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities and it just cut me so deep. So I went to church the next morning and I i told the pastor there because this dude had i guess been praying for me for a long time i barely knew him um and i told him i was like i i need something different i explained what happened he's like that sounds like a lot of prayers answered so um so
0: god was at work even when you were at your lowest he was drawing you to himself yes absolutely which leads us to our second point you guys on your outline is that's answering the question who can be saved Who can be saved? Well, um, Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, our verse that we read earlier together, it says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. I love that little three-letter word, but, at the beginning of verse 4. But. Because of his great love for us. If you read verse 1, 2, and 3, you hear all these sort of sinful things and uh, described in different ways. And you're like, yeah, I've been there. Yeah, I've been there. Hmm, Okay, maybe I've been there too. But because of his great love for us, God saves us. That statement on your second point is that God desires everyone to be saved. No matter who you are, no matter what's happened in your life, he loves you and he sent Jesus to save you he's merciful. It's pretty amazing to consider. So it leads to the question, once you've been saved, then how are you supposed to behave after that? And that's your third point on your outline. And that's the third question is, what does it mean to follow Jesus daily? Because it's one thing to trust Jesus as your savior and be saved, to have him in your heart, to commit your life to follow him. But it's another thing to develop the practice that Sarah was already talking about of making him Lord of your life daily in reading scripture, walking with him, being mindful of not just adding him to my life, but me being part of his life, life in Christ. And so that's Colossians 2, 6 and 7. But it asks that question, what does it mean to follow Jesus daily? And Colossians 2, verse 6 says, so then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, i.e., you didn't do anything on your own. God did it for you. Because of his great love and mercy. Continue to live in him. Rooted and built up in him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. So continue there is a perfect tense verb. In the Greek means it started in the past and it goes on indefinitely into the future. It's not something that stops. I know we feel like we have some ups and downs in our personal relationship with Jesus. But it's ongoing. And then he uses two different analogies, rooted, an agricultural analogy, putting down your roots in order to put down your roots to get the nutrients to grow up. But then the other one, a architectural build up, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. A third type of analogy, strengthened because you're growing. This is the way that God intends us once we have followed him to continue in our life. Your statement there is that God plans for our continual growth. He plans for you to grow continually. Not just to get saved, kind of exist like that and do life on your own terms, but to have an ongoing personal relationship with Jesus that's growing regularly. And that's the pretty cool part with Scott and Sarah as well. Not only did they have some different challenging backgrounds and some other things they hadn't even told you about, Um, You need to sit down with them yourself and have a longer conversation about the things they've struggled with and by God's grace have overcome, but how they, as they have walked with Jesus, how their life have changed from this point. And so, you know, that's where I want to lead us now is Sarah and Scott, tell us about what your life has been like since you got serious with Christ. And I know there were some challenges even after the last part of your story you just told us too. but go ahead and tell us those things.
1: Yeah, um, life's been perfect. No. Okay. Um, <laughs> the end. Um,
0: Watch out for yeah. the lightning bolts. Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, God's graceful. Um, yes, so how, is, how has the change been different? Um, there's, been, there's been one thing that has been different, and I'm going go to go kind of to the back when I was eight um, just to kind of demonstrate that, that what has been different. Um, before I was eight, I would get these nightmares that um, aren't, like, I would tell my parents they're, they're monsters, but it was like a feeling of something being very, very close and very far away. Something of it being massive, but just taking up a little bit of mass. I don't know how to describe it. On on Google it says it's Alice in Wonderland syndrome. But, like, for me, what was going on in my heart was I needed to control it. And I, the more I controlled it, the more it overwhelmed me. And so I'd I'd, just for hours, it would just be like a presence that I would feel overwhelmed by, and it was awful. Mm-hmm. Once I was baptized, um, scripture came to my head, established for my parents, um, talking about how we can trust God with anything. And so I'm like, okay, God, you say this. I need to depend, like, I need to, I can't do this. I can't be stronger than this thing. Um, I'm done. I give up. Please take it. I haven't had a dream like that since. Um, and it's a little thing, but that is that is the change. Not any change in me, but the giving giving up my trying in order to, and depending on God's word and saying like, God, this is who you say you are. I'm going to jump and hope that you are who you say you are. And he always catches you. Not only that, but he makes you better than what you were before. And so being able to just have that that concept, but continually. Um, ended up going to to bible college and god showed me hey you're going to study foreign ministry we still live in lincoln nebraska i studied foreign ministry okay great let's do this and um but also god showing me how i am more me when i jump and trust that who god is that who he says he is is true and in foreign ministry you're like okay (laughs) we'll see what happens we'll be there in an hour or three who knows um (laughs) <laughs> but um, God definitely is who he says he is. When I was 20-ish um, after college, I was diagnosed with clinical depression, and so I realized that my whole world's concept of what I perceived was not reality, but the one thing that really kept me going th- through the depression, and it's not just like feeling sad for yourself, but a fight all the time, so, but the one thing that always remained true, the thing that was as serious as my emotion, was God's word, And to be able for it to speak directly into saying that this is how you're feeling. This is the war that's going on within you. God's fighting that with you. He sees the seriousness of what's going on. And he knows that it's good. And he redeems the seriousness. He redeemed death. He redeemed all these things. And it's okay for God's word to be the only thing to be able to be that lifeline for me. That was incredible. Again, God is who he says he is. You know, it's just one more thing. God is who he says he is. God is who he says he is. But we just need to know who he is to be able to depend on that. And so being able to read God's word, you know, as, as task-oriented as it is sometimes, those things count. The daily counts. And so God is continually changing me. Um, again, being very, very guarded and very cold, God humbled me. I swallowed my pride and went on a harmony. <laughs> and I um, met this guy. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But... <laughs> um, God just continues to be who he says he is. And it's just my job to continually figure out who he is through his word to be able to depend on that. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm just very thankful that he is that faithful.
0: Amen. I appreciate Sarah's story because so many of us struggle with depression and we don't necessarily know how to talk about it. And so here's somebody you can talk about it with. Here's somebody you can talk about it with. And sometimes you need to talk to a counselor. Sometimes you need medicine. And those things help but that Jesus helps, too, yes. deal with the realities of life. Very that it's much. not just Jesus is over here and these things are over here, but it's That's all together because right. it's you. Right. So, Scott, tell us a little about your life and where you got serious with Jesus and how, man.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, <laughs> anarchy, that used to be my favorite word because anything that everybody else was doing because it was the rule was the thing that I was opposed to. Just, I was a very hard-headed only child, so... Um, Surrendering my life to Christ was something that I had to learn meant every single part of my life. Um, And there's this terrible feel within people who have, they know and have heard about God's redeeming power, but just feel so weighed down by the chains of their past that they, even though Jesus breaks those chains, they carry them around. They pick them up and they're just holding on to these chains and uh, for me, condemnation was a very serious. I was asking for, and it made me not want to believe that God was going to answer my prayers just based on past sins. Things that, in His Word, are literally the Isaiah fifty three <laughs> saying. It tells you right away that it's not about you, um, and that was a hard thing for me to believe. So, uh, I started to see some fun answers to prayer. I was kind of kind of ridiculous, like. Uh, there was, a, like, at, my, at that time, one girl who went to my church who was my age. So I was like, God, let me have her as a girlfriend, yeah? And uh, <laughs> my my mentor called me the next day, and he's like, yeah, my wife took her out for for lunch, and uh, she's got a boyfriend. And I was just ecstatic. I was like, that's an answer to prayer. The answer is no. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, um, you know, eventually um, I did. My, my mentor was like, oh, you know, if you want to date somebody, you should just try out, like, uh Online dating or whatever, and I was like, no. And then like an hour later, um, and and anyway, unrelated. I was on there for like three days before I met Sarah, and she was on there for like three years. <laughs> so, anyway, anyway. Um, Maybe you shouldn't have said that part. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. She's okay. The best. <laughs> uh, so you got serious about Jesus,
0: though. Yeah. And getting serious about Jesus helped you find the right person to marry, who was also serious about Jesus um right. pretty amazing yeah, yeah. I, I interrupted you though was there something else you were going to
2: say so? no no i just it's it, I just if i could encourage anyone to trust in christ even if you're on the fence about it god doesn't lie he can't lie so anything he says in his word about what he will or has done is 100 percent truth and sometimes when we fail to trust ourselves we fail to trust that he is true
0: amen so, you set us up perfectly for our fourth point which that's the question how can i be saved I mean, we're talking about following Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. We're talking about getting saved, a biblical term, the way we use it. And Romans 10:9. and if you know my testimony, that's my testimony, right? I shared it just a few weeks ago that um, I struggled being the ultimate poser, acting like a church kid and having all the right answers, but knowing that I wasn't truly saved. And one Sunday morning, April 1987, my pastor preached Romans 10:9 and 10. And I raced down the aisle. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, you will be saved. God loves you. All you have to do is say, Jesus is Lord, and believe that God raised him from the dead, did what he said he did. What's it say there in verse 10? It's with your heart that you believe and are justified. That means made right. Your account's balanced. And with your mouth, you confess. Speak out and are saved. Wow. Your final blank on your outline there says that God makes salvation simple.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But just because it's simple doesn't mean it's easy. And doesn't mean it's not worth anything. The better word there might be profound. Profound is something that is simple but also blows you away. That's how much God loves us. I wonder if we just turn back to Scott and Sarah for a minute uh, to help us kind of put a bow on this that we're trying to talk about today, using your life, using Scripture to lead us to consider that we each and every one of us need to trust Christ as our Savior. Scott has a gift of evangelism, uh, like the spiritual gift of evangelism, if you know it, and you know it's true. But Sarah has a heart for evangelism as well. It's not her gift, as she'll say. I'm not, like, trying to put anything on her. That's well, not Sarah. how she's gifted. <laughs> but how is it that you guys go about now as a married couple, um, you know, um, sharing your faith with others? I mean, people you work with or people in your family. And how does that work for you two together or individually? You want to tell a story or two about that maybe to wrap us up? Yeah.
2: Well, we kind of tag team it. Um, usually, I'll just come up and drop the hammer, like this is the gospel, and then I'll walk away. <laughs> like I'm terrible <laughs> with discipleship, and then Sarah's like, "Well," and then can apply it. <laughs> but I'll let her tell you more about that. I just, it, we 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 both we both know that the single best thing for anyone's their um, to goal for their life is not just an answer to, to to how to quit smoking or just an answer to how to sleep at night or to overcome insomnia or how to kick any habit that you, you feel is destroying your life. The only destruction of a human is their lack of God sitting on the throne of their heart. Um, so, I mean, it, 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 I mean, uh, he, Pastor Aaron says I'm an evangelist, but I just get worked up when I start to, to think about how I had absolutely zero hope as a kid who was sitting in church every Sunday and now I'm an adult who's, like, responsible for all these things, and I'm just not afraid of any of it.
0: Mm -hmm. Hmm. Because God's real in your life, and he's on the throne of your life, that's in your phrase.
2: Right, yeah, Yeah. Mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think a part of it is that the more that you understand your need for God, the more that you're compelled to understand that everyone's need for God is great, too, and I think, for me, there's a time, you know, when I was very, very introverted, where I had to choose, you know, is it more important that I am comfortable, or is it more important that people know who God is, regardless of how they see me, you know, and so, um, I am not gifted with evangelism, I have a harder time with that, Scott does a great job, something that God has given me opportunities to do, especially with children, is to kind of help explain Kind of like when I was talk- with, the, with reading God's Word daily to help them walk through what are the simple truths? Who is God? How do we know who he is? And how do we apply that in his life? Um, God has definitely blessed my life with opportunities to be able to, to live that out with roommates and in children's ministries and um, in people, people I work with. Um, but none of that credit is mine. It's just the more I can be faithful, the more God changes lives around you. Amen.
0: Well, it's up to me to wrap us up, right? The bottom line is just the title. Follow Jesus. God loves you and he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to save you, whoever you are, from whatever you've done. And he asked you to follow him, to commit your life to follow him. And Scott and Sarah illustrated in some ways from their life today how they grew up somewhat similar but somewhat different in the paths they took and how they got serious And following Jesus. And who they are today. And I wonder if today is the day for one of you. To make that commitment. To take the step. To say. I'm done with all these things. That have troubled me so long. And I know my life won't be perfect. But I'm going to commit my life today. To follow Jesus. Let's pray together. God our Father. We trust you. We realize that we are imperfect and we can't do life on our own. We're just not made to. We need one another, but most of all, we need you. And you made us for a relationship with you, a love relationship. You so loved us that you sent your one and only son, Jesus, to die for us, each and every one of us, as if there was only one of us. And because you love us, sometimes you allow us to. um, Do stuff that will hurt us and hurt others to get our attention. Sometimes maybe even you cause circumstances in our life. To get our attention. To remind us that we're not God or we're not in control and that we need help. And like Scott and Sarah told us, you're there in the midst of the struggle to love us and guide us. If we follow you. So, Father, we pray that if there's anyone here today who you've convicted through this service. That as we stand to sing, they would walk down this aisle and say, Today, I'm committing myself to follow Jesus. Whether they're a child or a teenager or an adult. And God, we pray that we would be obedient to you. Because what you have for us, a perfect love relationship, is so much better than where our life is at right now. It's in Jesus' name we pray.